after a year of doing three or 4,000, do you believe that you can long-term build great relationships just through Zoom? Or do you feel like there has to be a combination of both? Uh, definitely a combination. I mean, it's why I'm in Panama today, seeing our network. It's literally a slender opportunity to come down here. And it's like the first opportunity to really travel down to see them in like, you know, the last 18 months. And within 10 minutes of meeting them, it was literally aha moments went off. Ah, that's what you mean, you know, because you can get on it. You know, it's, it's something different about having a pen in your hand and a whiteboard and seeing, looking them in the eye and putting that right emphasis on words and hearing their emphasis on words in real life, if you like, real person that, that matters. So I think, you know, we'd definitely be keeping that as a central part of building our relationships with people. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. And if you've enjoyed this show, I would be super grateful if you would subscribe on Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on. And if on Apple, if you would leave a rating and review, it would mean a lot. And last but not least, you can check out all these episodes on YouTube. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Fort. I have my friend Harry Croydon with me today, who's the founder and CEO of microinsurance.com. They are building a platform to tackle the 4 billion people and 100 million businesses across the globe that are underinsured or not insured at all. Today was a fascinating conversation on what microinsurance is and how they're tackling the problem. We talk about the craziest thing that they insure. And then we have a great conversation about how he's built the team and the wisdom that he's learned from building several companies over his lifetime. So thank you so much for continuing to join me, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Harry, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, real pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me. Harry's joining us from Panama today. So first guest that's uh, recorded from Panama. So excited about this. But um, let's just start out with a little bit about kind of your background and story uh, growing up and kind of what brought you to what you're doing today. Great. What, where I kind of come from is, is a kind of a tech background. I used to work in, uh, in Microsoft back in the 90s. After working there for a few years, I, I, I left and uh, set up a, a, a Lloyd's brokerage uh, focused on insuring the internet as we had had it back then. That was the idea. And we set up a, a thing called Safe Online. We had this big vision of insuring the internet and, and that went very well. And the big thing there was to get involved in new risks. And the only problem with that from my point of view was that we were not only trying to sell sell insurance over the internet, but it was you know cyber insurance and also in America, and it's also it's all all new. And uh, I've learned one thing is that you should only attempt one new thing at a time in your business, not three or four new things. So that was very hard and uh, uh, and complicated. But through the sort of two thousands, I got into you know the kind of ins- what we're now called insure tech and the, and building uh, insurance technology for people like uh, you know Aon and and Willis and and Marsh and various. Lloyd Brokers in, in, in the London market and gave me a real kind of firm background in what was required to process small business insurance. But then the thing I learned out of there was that the insurance industry, you know, the kind of level of innovation is quite low and their propensity to buy new systems and new, in, and new technologies also very, you know, like, you know, a long digestion period, let's say that, and we, which most people think of in, as a six months, but with insurance, I think it's more like five years or something. So it takes a long time for them to buy something. So I, I kind of hopped out of insurance around about 2010, thinking that I would never work in insurance again and, and just go into data analytics, because that was kind of an interest of mine getting into you know, the new new technologies of emerging technologies of data analytics, AI, machine learning, and things like that. Very kind of quickly picked up uh, what was turns out to be another insurance client, which was looking after the auto industry and looking after um, kind of cars that come off production lines and then get shipped to dealers and sort of tracking and monitoring all that and building the technology for that, for that type of business. And building analytics into that and... Uh, and that became kind of, you know, a, a big part of our business. 
And then around about sort of 2014, 2015, with the emerging sort of AI technologies coming into play, got much more interested in insurance. And because of, you know, the gig economy came around and uh, insuring these sort of micro policies and very sort of fast programs. And that really brought together my kind of new interest of technology, insurance and data and putting all those things together and decided to set up what has now become the micro insurance company which is really bringing all these passions of mine you know, together, as well as kind of ensuring what we call the unserved, so people that typically don't have insurance or can't get insurance uh, you know, in America and around, you know, around the world. And you know, that's kind of a, a four billion sort of person and maybe 100 million kind of company sort of market that we're, sort of, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at. And that's kind of where I've got to today, like building that. All right, a couple things before we get into that. You said... Um doing uh, one new idea at a time instead of three or four, which is a uh, testament to focus. Can you just dive a little deeper how, why you think that way? Yeah, well, back in, back in the day when we were doing Safe Line, it was, you know, you had to kind of explain not only the internet to, to people that you're trying to sell business to and how, you know, you could, they could actually process in, insurance on the internet, but also what cyber risks were and, and what cyber meant and and uh, and then how they might mitigate those risks and why they should care about them, and I think it's taken like twenty years or so, bef- you know, for most businesses to kind of start caring about in, you know, the internet risks and the cyber risks. So I think that's the sort of gestation period of insurance. And really, uh, I always think back to those days. I should have done like travel insurance or something, which was just travel insurance online, and 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 that would have been much easier to actually explain to people. Like here it is. It's, you know, it's right here when you buy your ticket, just tick here and there's insurance. That would have been much easier in trying to explain risk management on the internet and how hackers work and all those things. So it's getting much more, you know, my sort of you know, business head now is, is all about focus and, and pointing the direction at kind of one thing at a time and, and then becoming an expert in that and dragging along all the, not, not kind of convince people about different methodologies of selling and different processes of selling, but just to make sure you focus on kind of the one big thing. And then as far as the insurance uh, industry as a whole, kind of being slow to adopt technology and new ways of thinking, is that just because it's such an old industry filled with a lot of kind of folks that have been in it forever? Is there a specific reason why they're slow to adopt? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? All my mates. Yeah, I think very much so. I, I think it is... A, very much a people business insurance and and if the people don't want to do something on you know in any industry then typically it won't happen so the insurance industry is is, is a risk company you know, risk industry it's like risk adverse which is a good thing so i think in adopting new ideas and new risks and new things the nature of the people in it are kind of risk averse so it's very hard for them to get their heads around um you know changing and and change so you know, where we see success today is by, you know, actually hiring people that might be in the insurance industry, but are more willing to take risks in, the, in, in their own sort of personality. And they're the people that I think are leading this change, you know, the sort of entrepreneurial people within insurance, which become you know, potentially a rare breed, maybe in, in insurance. All right. So you've you've brought all those ideas together and you've launched uh, microinsurance.com. What is microinsurance.com? How do you describe it? Yeah, so we're a, a company that is, you know, first a technology company, uh, and we process high volume policies straight through processing, and you know, focused on kind of what we call relevant products. And by that we mean working with like program partners like telcos or uh, uh, platform companies, and ident- identifying a risk that they might have. So it might be say with a uh, say like an Uber type company, their drivers might want a policy for when their car is is in the workshop. So we would cover them for those one, two, or three days while their car's in the workshop. Or if somebody goes to hospital, then you know we would cover them for the two or three days uh, when they go to the hospital. But these aren't kind of medical covers or or car covers. They're more like income covers that cover them for that lost income. So we look for specific risks, a particular kind of like parametric way of 
underwriting that risk and under and, and paying the claims, putting all that together and, build, and building an insurance program out out that that is has got a kind of a high volume, high degree of high turnover of policies, and uh, and then the claims can be automated and processed very quickly as well. So we're bringing that you know the technology play along with the insurance play together, and that's kind of what 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 we do within the you know, within our uh, our company. We operate in about 12 countries around the world uh, today, and we're looking to build out our um, insurance capability uh, in the near future to help us, you know, in, in places like the US and, uh, and South America, uh, et cetera, to grow out our, our business there. In the example you just gave about Uber and, and kind of like an Uber driver, is the Uber driver the one signing up with you or does Uber sign up with you and then you kind of white label a policy that any of their drivers can sign up for? Yeah, so I mean, we actually work with Kareem, which is part of Uber. In and uh, but but that's exactly right. We we work with a company, you know, the the, the partner to build produce a, a white label product that we partner with with them, and and then that goes along with you know to the actual user, you know, to the uh, to the gig worker or, or driver, as you say. Yeah. And then you said there's like your addressable market could be up to four billion people that are either underinsured or not insured. A hundred million companies. My first question is like, what are they currently doing if they don't have insurance? They're just operating with no insurance. Yeah, well, so you know, you're talking to people who who, who carry these risks themselves. You know, so like, well, for example, I've just I've just been on a, a, an aeroplane just now, which was 36 hours late. So I set off that journey carrying the risk of it might be late, but you know, potentially we could we could ensure that late flight. If it was like three or four hours old, you know, late, then we could make an instant payout. So I think a lot of people carry a lot of risk in their life that they would prefer not to if they could. Uh, but the insurance industry, you know, kind of doesn't respond to it very well. It's it's like when you know, an event happens, like you know, a flood or a hurricane or something. The insurance industry is very quick to point out fifty billion of losses or some big number, and then they only pay out eight hundred million or something, you know, because of most of the risks aren't actually covered in the, you know, and that's the part that, you know, we're trying to address. It's for the, the kind of blue collar worker, the Joe Smo or whoever you define these people, the, the person who's got a, a market stall in, in somewhere that have all, all the fire damages and thefts and all this sort of thing, but just cannot access insurance. And they, uh, and we're, we're partnering with telcos and, you know, these different platforms to actually you know, enable them to easily buy insurance and to easily get hold of this, this insurance. And, you know, the advent of the phone and the smartphone and the growing sort of platform businesses, you know, that's the, the kind of new distribution, if you like, and, uh, and embedding that insurance into these processes that people have. And then the insurance kind of comes with that process so that, you know, you can actually offset that risk that you normally carry, you know, today sort of thing, you, you can carry that. Would, would that gig worker at, I keep going back to Uber, sorry to use that example, but would they be signing up for multiple policies? Because you mentioned the car in the shop or maybe in the hospital, or is it all kind of fit under one policy? Or is it just like a menu of things they can choose to keep adding on? Yeah. So putting Uber aside, if you like, but but that's how we see We see that, that, that there would be, you know, a menu of things that, that you would you would have like a slider, if you like, of different covers that you can adjust yourself and, and then to be able to um, build that out. And it kind of comes with whatever partner you're with. And then you can, you can, uh, you can then choose the, whether you want to, you know, whether it's for travel, for life, where, you know, th- those sorts of covers uh, that you could then adjust, you know, and we would, and we design those programs along with the partners so that they're relevant to their audience. So if you're a, a host type company for, you know, short-term lets, you might have a property damage thing for your hosts, you know, for the, when the guests come in. Whereas with a car, it's for the car, you know, damage, you know, the, the sort of dents and bumps type uh, damage and that, you know, those sort of things. So that we, we adjust it, for de- you know, depending on what sort of program that you have. But typically it's, you know, they're, they're kind of you know, life covers or they're um, property covers or they're like cyber covers or, or, you know, sort of travel type covers that people have uh, around. And we just, we just build the program for each, each type of partner that we have. It seems like there's like millions of use cases for certain types of risk. I'm assuming y'all are identifying what those are, but are you also getting, can customers reach out and say, here's something I want to insure, and then y'all can figure out a program for how to insure it? 
yeah so today uh, you know we're a b2b company so so yeah we, we get a lot of inbound traffic from from our customers ask you know the bees if you like the platform saying hey can you do this for us and we and, we, and then we, we start building a specific kind of program for them and uh, and build that out so if it's you know we, we recently did something in 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 Qatar for example where we we work with a, a telco and built a a loyalty program for for their you know with their launch of their 5G program so that they can uh, when the customer signs up they get they get insurance as part of their their 5G so that makes them you know kind of exciting if you like and another feature for that for that 5G program versus somebody who hasn't got insurance it kind of comes with their insurance so their customers or their new customers you know it's a, like a marketing program for them but we build that those sort of programs with with them okay a loaded question how do y'all underwrite these things and like how quickly is an underwriting period like what what data do you need and how do you kind of come to your answer of what you're willing to insure it for on these lots of different uh nuanced yeah. risks so some of the programs you know like the life type programs we, we've got a lot of data on that already you know we know the different rates you know, we've been doing that a long time for something that is a bit bit more innovative like a property uh, type damage uh, say with an iot device you know like a sensor or on a water pipe or a sensor in a room then we, we do a lot of desk research and collect as much information and data and uh, that we can from around you know from around the internet and our internal sources and kind of come to a price that, that we think is right and then we launch the program through like a pilot with our partner and then adjust the program so, so that it works for both parties, so that it's relevant, i.e. that there are claims, the pricing's right, and, and the claims triggers are right. So these, we can quickly come to a, a kind of a, a desktop price and then, and then launch and program. This whole process might take 10 or 12 weeks to get through that whole process. So then that we're more confident to launch with with having completed like a pilot program with that so you know along with the underwriting comes our technology that we embed that in so we can get the data from our partners and see that in real time which means that not collecting like most policies you collect data once a year you know we collect data every day off our partners and then we can kind of see how it's going in kind of live or or overnight we can see how things are going when I was on your website, I was looking at a case study that y'all provide insurance to farmers in like Uganda and Kenya and Tanzania. Because you're B2B, you're just going to the microfinance institution and getting data from them. And then that's how you work. You're not like on the ground learning from the farmers themselves. No. So you know, when you're selling a policy for literally 10 cents, you need distribution. So our, our kind of key is that we, we can work with distribution. You know, we, we can sell thousands of policies you know millions of policies and process those those numbers and that's the, you know the, so the technology is key with that and then and then next comes you know the, our, our ability to then to underwrite you know the, the actual risks and, and then the claims process is you know we like to build the, the product kind of claims up so we know how the claims going to work before we get involved with with, with this you know with, with with the program so we're not sort of then we're not later scrambling around trying to work out how we're going to adjust the loss, you know, that the claims were all built in, embedded in the whole process so that, uh, you know, we, we pay the claims automatically. Y'all are in 12 different countries. Is there one kind of language for insurance or do you have to learn kind of the nuances of each country and build products that fit kind of their laws and their beliefs and cultures? Or can you build one thing that can travel across the world? This is where I think, you know, we are trying to, you know, do that and and by building you know simple relevant products so uh, you know, as you know lots of insurance policies are on hundreds of pages almost you know 20 30 pages and loads of exclusions and all these things well our policies you know tend to be over a couple of paragraphs and, and we sell the you know sell the policy on on text almost so it, it's very you know if this happens then you get paid this as the claim so it's very simple so people understand the risk people I think around the world, all they have the same risks. You know, weather. You know, they have weather risks. They have life risks. They have property risks. They have all these risks, which are common around the world. And and what they're struggling to do is is, is find insurance to actually you know mitigate that risk. And that's kind of you know. So we think it is kind of one common 
language that is simple, relevant insurance products, you know, and, and building this kind of safety net that people want so that they can go about their business and, you know, with the knowledge that they've got, you know, a thousand dollars in their pocket, if you like, you know, and, 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 ha- and know that if something happens, they can quickly claim against that. You know, the micro finance and the, the new finance initiatives of banks are kind of ahead of insurance. And what they're doing is letting people get in the game, if you like, of taking a loan out, expanding themselves, exposing themselves to that risk. But if something happens, if they haven't got insurance, then they've not only taken a loan out that they now got to pay for somehow, but they've you know, they've exposed themselves to a whole new area that they didn't didn't need to in some ways. So having insurance, you know, to quickly back up the you know, the finance you know initiatives, if you like, of growing people's you know, wealth by taking out loans and letting them get on with life, then that's where I think you know, the insurance industry can help and we can help build that kind of safety net for these people that that many people in the West have today, but many people in other parts of the world don't have, you know, today. And, and that's what we're trying to kind of build. Are there people out there that, and I'm assuming the answer is yes, but they don't even know what insurance is because it's never been introduced into their life? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's people, yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's also people that if they hear the insurance man coming, they lock the door, you know, because, as well, because they don't want to talk to them, you know, life insurance salesmen and all this sort of stuff. So I think the education for what insurance is and how it can best, you know, help you in your life needs to be picked up by the industry. And you see, you know, the adverts on television, they, they even like in, in, in America and in the, in, in the UK, it's mostly treated as a joke. You know, it's, it's like, you know, they make a joke of insurance. And they're mainly selling on price, which I don't think does the insurance industry kind of any good. And, and and certainly, you know, price is important. But really, what is really important in the insurance industry is that you get the right cover and you get the right program for you and what you're doing. It's not just buy the cheapest policy. It, it should be the education needs to be for people to actually learn how to look at, you know, their risk and what they want and get the policy or the you know the cover that they need for what they're doing not just think something's just a cheap price and get that. Yeah, I love the transparency because it seems like uh, even some of the policies that I have, I know many listeners can probably agree. It's like you get this policy, something happens, and it's like the one thing in the policy that it doesn't actually cover. The The transparency yeah. is huge. Yeah, as it turns out sort of thing. Yeah. You know, there's m- many cases where you know, two things happened and you thought it was, and, and, and the insurance policy says, no, it's only one thing. And, and then you end up in court or something, or you end up, you know, disappointed. And often when, when, when people buy insurance, it's not them who makes a claim because they're like dead or something, you know, so it's actually their, their wife or their partner or their children that are making the claim and they didn't buy the policy. You know, they're a new customer, you know, it's a very odd product, if you like, that the thing that people are buying is the claim and and the thing that the insurance industry typically sells is the policy, but really they should be selling the transparency of the claim more than the policy. You know, so that's where we come in. We 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 try and build it claim up so that people know exactly what they can claim for. You know, keeping it simple. How have you determined what twelve countries you're in today? Have that just been following customers that are in those countries, or have you guys identified certain countries based on the set of parameters? Yeah, well, so. Our company came together as a merger of three companies. So we're in some of those countries already. So we've kind of put ourselves out there and a lot of the business has come to us. But, and we're now really in that position where we're now being much more strategic about what we're doing. And you know, we've identified obviously the US, you know, Central and South America, Africa and South Asia as our kind of key targets of where we're going to grow our business. And we're busy building the kind of insurance regulatory and capability to service those those industry you know, those industries you know those are countries at the moment and i asked the question about like the one language for all those countries but like southeast asia has different laws than america and africa and then different cultures so maybe my question is how do you get going in a country are there different things you have to do for each country or is it usually the same playbook yeah so so we have you know like a playbook where we you know, typically it would be a partner in the country that wants to work with us. And then we have to put the insurance capability behind them, which typically we have to find a, a fronting partner, you know, a partner in insurance, an you know, indigenous kind of partner of, for, in that country. 
and then we sort of bring it back to our uh, microinsurance company. So we have this sort of partner network that we're sort of building up, and that's the that's the kind of the playbook we're putting together. Uh, so that people talk about competition, I think it's all should be more about partnership and building this you know this sort of network around the world, and that that's the sort of network of partners that we're building, so that we can bring the innovation to the insure tech world. We can bring the innovation to these new partners that we have. Even many of the funding carriers have never done this type of insurance before. So, so we kind of teach them how to do it as well and, and, and become their partner in this new thing so that they can you know, help you know, take the risk as well and grow that kind of network of you know, giving people more and more cover. What is the craziest insurance policy that y'all offer? Like, what's the craziest thing that you insure that comes to mind? <laughs> well, we do uh, we do doorbell insurance uh, is one thing, if you what's like. That? So, it, well, it's like if you have a package on on a doorstep, right? It gets stolen, and if you think about it, uh, you know, people might think that's oh well, that's okay because it's under our um, our home contents policy. But that have a deductible of three, four, five, six hundred dollars, maybe. So that eighty dollar package isn't covered on your on, under your um, you know existing policy. So along with the doorbell, you know we we can sell insurance to cover those packages. You know up to like you know a two, you know two or three hundred dollars, and uh, and it means that then those packages are insured. You know because that's a much more common way of shopping, or becoming a much more common way of shopping. Than, than going down the shops now. So you know your 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 porch or your stoop or your your, your door is now the a, a, a place that you you need insurance for, whereas before it wasn't. That's a, as an example of one of the things that we're doing. Okay, I don't want to ask a dumb question, and and I'm I know I'm getting granular here, but this is kind of interesting. So let's just say your package is stolen. How do you even prove that it was stolen? Is it all math and numbers to you that sometimes will get fraudulent claims and like how do you even Yeah, so these yeah, so this it comes along with the new doorbells, you know, with cameras and things like that. And and you know, and so you know, you can't just do the normal push button doorbell. That would be, you know, not it's not that sort of doorbell. It's the modern sort of IoT type doorbell. So, you know, we see along with IoT devices, all all the devices that you can think of, then you know, insurance can be embedded in with those. And that's that's kind of I mean, we don't think it's crazy. We think it's quite normal in a way, but that's you know what people think. Wow, how did that happen? But but we're we're doing that. So you know, ensuring you know smart buildings, you know, becoming buildings becoming more smart, and we're kind of adding in the smart insurance, if you like, to go along with those those sorts of things. When we were chatting on our our pre call, you had made a quote that I wrote down, and you just kind of said, and it's on the topic of kind of global expansion, which are doing globally. But you just said there's not many businesses that are actually set up to prosper go- globally. And so my question is, what did you mean by that, and and why? Yeah, I mean, this is like you know, the insurance industry is you know is is designed by design to be you know national or even state you know set up you know you you, you know the, the insurance industry you know they're regulated by state by country by you know region you know they're not actually regulated globally so it's very hard for insurance companies to to you know if, if they're if they've got businesses in you know i don't know in 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 seattle or 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 in san francisco and if you know their local insurer can't can't help them globally you know, because of their they're regulated locally or in that state, so it, it takes it's a big step for those people who've had that very traditional bringing up of insurance to think about insuring something in Thailand that from a company that is in San Francisco or or in New York or in Berlin or something. You know, it's it's very hard for them to get get across that. So they need you know you need to be thinking you know, around you know mimicking you know, the platform insurance. And, and, and we, we call ourselves like a full stack insurance company. So, you know, we've got the technology, we've got the thinking, we've got the design to actually have that kind of international and global thinking from the get-go with our team of people. We think about that, how, how are we going to build this global network to help support our customers? Because, you know, a company like an, you know, an Airbnb or whatever, you know, they can, you know, start one day and, and then, you know, within a you know, within a very short period of time, have a global business, but that's very very hard to do for an insurance company because of all the regulation you have to go through. So so we're building this network of partners to you know to actually you know cater for that 
um, and, and bringing that together. But you need that kind of global thinking, really, and you know, to get over problems, not think of them as barriers, but actually get over those problems right. and, and, and do that. Can you speak a little bit more to kind of the technology and kind of y'all's, I don't know, secret sauce? You don't have to spill your guts on the podcast, but like, what are y'all doing with technology that's better than the, the, the rest? Well, I know about better, different, maybe, you know, there's some great technology out there and, you know, the, it's really bringing in the idea of, of, uh, you know, data and dealing with the data at, at, at a, you know, kind of granular level, I think from get go. So, you know, building in our own analytics engines, building in AI and machine learning, thinking, you know, and, and how to start a program when you've got no data, how do you start a program you know, with no data, but then in a year's time, have a ton of data that will overwhelm people. How do you, you know, work towards getting, you know, getting that our technology to work? And and we've been through various programs and various cycles of getting AI to work, for example, of very, very low levels of data and then scaling it up so that it actually works, you know, for like, you know, car scrap and dent and things like that, you know, in, in a very short period of time. And and bringing that technology in house rather than outsourcing it to somebody because of you know these these new insurtechs and things and 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 service companies around the insurance industry you know are, are kind of a, a bit of a worry i think to the you know to many of the incumbents because if you're capable of of processing the claims very quickly and very cost effectively you know our thinking is why would you outsource that? You've got to bring that in, in source. So one of our secret sources is the ability to actually build technology and actually build tech, you know, a full stack insurance company. So it's not that our technology is any better. It's just that we don't outsource it. We bring it in-house and then, and then have that kind of capability to build and own our own customer journeys rather than relying on external companies and external people to tell you how to build a customer journey. You know, we have all that stuff in house and know how to do it. So, and and knowing also that our customers haven't all got smartphones. You know, so so we go from text messaging all the way up to a smartphone sort of customer journey. You know, and and, and that's you know important to understand within your business. It's not just some Silicon Valley idea, if you like, of everybody having an iPhone. You know, you've got to think that many people have just very cheap phones that don't you know don't operate that way. And you've got to be, and they're the people with the problem that we deal with and and really in all the countries you're operating even the everybody at least has like a flip phone or something is that is that generally true at this point well that's generally where our market is you know we we work with various you know telco companies so obviously they you know all those people have a phone so that's typically you know that's more typical than anything that's how we operate and uh and that's really the the things that you know, back in the you know year two, you know two thousand, it was who had broadband, you know, as a thing in the in the West, if you like, and that that enabled the internet to grow, it enabled Amazon to grow, if you like, you know, without broadband, you know, shopping wouldn't exist, sort of thing, and and that's what we're seeing is that the mobile phone is enabling, you know, well, it's enabling lots of e-commerce, if you like, but particularly insurance to you know to grow and proliferate now because you can actually communicate with the end user a bit better. A little more uh, detail on kind of behind the scenes, but in a kind of a global remote world, how is your tech team set up? Is it remote all over the world or are they all in a central location? Well, they were all central, <laughs> but then COVID happened and they all went home. But yeah, our tech team's in India uh, principally, but we've got we've got teams in, you know, tech people in India and Pakistan. And our goal is to grow that out in, into other regions of the round to give us more around the 24 our kind of servicing but today it's principally in india we were actually setting up a big office in india but then covid happened so mostly they're dispersed and and that's really enabled i mean we all want to get back to the office i think and 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 get team building and all those good things but it's also helped us build a much much more distributed network of you know skills i mean i i, I do I don't know, I added up the other day, three or 4,000 kind of Zoom-type calls, if you like, you know, in the last year. It's crazy. And that's a lot of education, how to, you know, how to talk, you know, how to talk to your team, how to act remotely, how to hire people remotely, how to fire people remotely, how to encourage them, you know, all these things we've had to learn in the last year. But that, I think, is good for the future because it means that we can, you know, for us anyway, we can quickly operate and set up things remotely without having to, 
think of building an office first or, or doing something like that. After a year of doing three or 4,000, do you believe that you can long-term build great relationships just through Zoom? Or do you feel like there has to be a combination of both? Uh, definitely a combination. I mean, it's why I'm in Panama today, seeing our network, you know, our PMA, we've it's literally a slender opportunity to come down here. And it's like the first opportunity to really travel down to see them in like, you know, the last 18 months. And within 10 minutes of meeting them, it was literally aha moments went off. Ah, that's what you mean. You know, because you can get on it. You know, it's, it's something different about having a pen in your hand and a whiteboard and seeing, looking them in the eye and, and, and putting that right emphasis on words and hearing their emphasis on words in real life, if you like, real person that, that matters. So I think, you know, we'd definitely be keeping that as a central part of building our relationships with people. Could you just describe as the CEO of the company, like what, what do you do every day? What's your job? <laughs> what is my job? <laughs> Whack-a-mole. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, sort of. I mean, I start work at 5 a.m. in the morning on calls uh, you know, because of, I think, you know, it's important for me to be up when our people in India and Pakistan are up and I finish at 5 a.m. in the evening. That's kind of my 12-hour day. So the first five or six hours is very much operational type, you know, how sales are going, how operations are going, you know, everyday events, you know, going through, if you like, whack-a-mole things, making, you know, keeping direction there. And then the last part of the day is 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 on kind of strategy and sales and and helping encourage our teams and having one-to-ones and, and team building. So I have that kind of split day most days. Okay, piggybacking off that, we met through our mutual friend Stanton through Culture Index. Can you just speak a little bit to uh, how you think about Culture Index and why it's important to you and the companies that you run? I'll be assuming that the, people know what Culture Index is, or should we just tell them to go and have a look at cultureindex.com and go take a look at cultureindex.com and well, you can answer it assuming that they kind of know. Okay, yeah. So. This is, I, I'm a kind of a data person. So I like to know data points on most things that I do. And I'm a kind of a believer in if, if you want somebody to do something, they've got to have certain traits. It, you know, they need to be a self-starter. They need to be independent. They need to be, you know, impatient or whatever it is, if you want them to do things fast or take ownership of things. And so what Culture Index does is help you I look at, you know, profile the sort of person you want in terms of their traits and their you know and then and then take a very short 10 minute test and they and it miraculously gives you their kind of their traits and that then you can kind of know whether whether they're the right fit for your business and the right fit for you and um, and knowing how you operate or how I operate also means that you or I can adjust our um, a way of working to each other, uh, you know, to suit each other, such as, you know, I, you know, one of my business partners, he likes to tell a story of first before he gets to the actual problem. So he, he, he likes to tell you this whole rambling thing. And, and that, that kind of used to annoy me. And I used to be jumping in, talking over him and, and trying to, you know, come on, come on, second guess him. And, and then we did the culture index. We found that his, he, that was his trait. And, I, and my trait was to do something faster. Now we know this, you know, kind of on paper. I now let him go on a little bit, and he knows that I'm impatient, so it, it all shortens it down, and, and we can get to the number of the problem quicker, basically. So it's it's just a way of working with each other. It's, it's it's a really good tool for team building, and a really good tool to hire in the the people for for what you know for what you want them to do, if you like, yeah, so that they fit with the culture of the business. I love it. Warren Buffett's famous for having all this float and doing lots of cool things with it. Do you think about float at all in your business? Does it matter to you? And what do you do with it? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we're kind of a startup, obviously. And uh, uh, although we've been going for a couple of years and we've got like 120 you know, odd employees, et cetera, we still see ourselves as a startup. So we're constantly on the move, constantly pivoting and changing and, and pushing into the new, new, direct, you know, new directions. And, uh, and and you know building the teams and building the processes. So I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really think of you know the, the float, if you like, because of our business churns very fast. You know most most insurance companies, if you like, you know they 
they've got a pulse of once a year that they're actually doing something. You know, they, they place a policy once a year and then hope for the best. You know, we're placing policies, you know, every couple of hours. You know, we're, we're churning. So, you know, we're, we're, we're working very fast and, and using our reserves and our capital many times over in a year, not not building up a, a, a great kind of capital base of our business. It's it's a much more leaner, faster use of capital and than typically most insurance companies have. Are you uh, venture backed, private equity backed? You funding it? How, how are you all capital? Or like, how do you think about raising capital as you grow? Yeah. So we are um, over the last two or three years, we've kind of backed it ourselves and built it up ourselves. You know, we've really put our our life and souls into this in order to, you know, really steer the ship in the direction we wanted to. And and now we're just, you know, we're just going out to raise, you know, raise funds at the moment. You know, having built, you know, the business into something that's got a proven model and a proven use case, if you like, and we've kind of put a lot of the early ups and downs of a business behind us, so that it, you know, kind of a bit more attractive. So we're just about to go out to really our first big round, uh, and uh, uh, and do that. So we're we're just doing that at the moment. I love it. All right. At the end of this company, like what, what would be a great outcome? Where, where does the company, uh, what's like the, the end goal here? Well, so we're very much, I mean, I'm very much a believer in a, you know, in a big vision and, uh, and, and doing something that we've got some, you know, you know, infinity and beyond, if you like, type, type of mission. What we're doing is we're building this sort of safety net for people that, that they can take advantage of as they go about their business. And which is going to take continual change of insurance and business, but that's kind of you know that's that's the big vision if you like building that safety net for for people. Um, you know we've got a traditional route of you know raising some capital and heading for an IPO and then growing out the you know the value of the business for our shareholders and our, our employees alike, and growing this business into you know hopefully to become the biggest you know micro insurance business. Uh, embedded insurance business, you know, in, in you know, in the world, and that's what you know. That's our mission to do that. We hope we can un- encourage more of the insurance industry to go down that route, and for us to partner with, and you know, to help us grow that safety net. It's not we're not thinking we can grow that safety net completely by ourselves. It's you know, it's a huge, you know, millions and millions, trillions of dollars sort of opportunity. So, so, so we just want to be a significant player in that, and to grow our business towards that. But you know, through a hopefully an IPO and think, you know, going forward. All right. A couple uh, questions on just like leadership and challenges you've had and then uh, some personal ones. But you you just said um, business is about having the right people around you. It can be an accident or on purpose. I've been through both and there is a need to work on yourself to ensure this becomes intentional. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, so... I mean, personally, I've got this sort of saying of being conscious about things that you do. So many people go about accidents of life. Part of my accident was leaving, you know, you know, getting out of the software industry, like into insurance. That was a kind of a happy accident. But I've become a much more kind of conscious about it, hence doing, you know, the micro insurance business. So and, and these are things that I try and do really think about you know, hence using things like the culture index, you know, to actually intentionally think who do you want around you? What sort of people do you want around you? What what partners do you want? What, you know, what companies do you want to work with and intentionally go out and do that? So that's like an everyday thing with me and, and the team and bringing those kind of, you know, conscious thoughts into the team and building those subtly into everyday parts of the team building and culture of our business is what I've been working on, you know, for the past year, I mean, we, we just put together a, a vision board for the company. So, you know, not tell people objectives, but to give them a vision of where they're going. So we put a vision board together and presenting that to the company, because I believe it that, you know, if you if you can sort of create that, then everybody can buy into that vision a lot easier through, through a vision board than like five bullet points or something or other. So doing things a bit more creatively and consciously around that. All right, you've started businesses, you know, since you were a, a young a young lad and now you're starting this one like is there one lesson that comes to mind of something you did early on that you would never do again or just like a, a great learning experience that you can only learn through, you know, being in the fight for a long time? Yeah, I th- I think being a lot more transparent with everybody that's around you about your, what what your real intention is and what you really want out of this business 
and, and, and trying to encourage them to tell you that as well, not just you tell it one way and, and, and hearing the kind of uh-huh, uh-huh from your partners and then them ne- never really telling you what they want to do either. And then you suddenly find a year or two later that you're in two different places. So it's actually trying to battle that out and, 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 and make sure you're all on the same page to move forward because then you can pivot together and you can move together a lot a lot more. And I think that's where I've failed in the past is by thinking I've been going in one direction but then not actually bringing everybody along behind me and uh you know properly or, or you know leaning their way and them leaning my way a bit it's that's really what i think you know has been my big learning having got to my age now really trying to work on that and to work on myself to be kind of transparent about what i want to do and, and being very clear about about that making sure that you know that you listen to what what they're telling you not just assume assume what they're telling you you know it's, it's, it's listening skills, I guess. Did you start this business with people that you had started other companies or is everybody fresh or you got the gang back together? Yeah, my my main business partner, you know, we've known each other for like 20 years and there's a couple of people in the business I've known similar time. But we did acquire this, you know, uh, we did acquire one of the companies, you know, during COVID. So I've never met the old, you know, the CEO of that company that's now the head of sales. I've never met all the team in that business, you know, face to face. So we, they're all new. But this is again where things like the culture index has helped us get to know them a lot better, a lot more. You know, actually look at, you know, kind of lift their bonnet on, on on them, so you can actually get to know them a bit quicker and play that back and have these. So you know, using those sorts of tools to have that very open, open discussion and to sort of accelerate that learning process. So that's that's how we've done it. But it's not it's not the old gang. It's like half the old gang and a half a new gang, if you like, come together. I said I wouldn't ask another insurance question, but I do have one because you brought up COVID. Has experiencing COVID, is there going to be big impacts on the insurance industry in general because of what we experienced through COVID? Or it was already kind of underwritten into the, you know, the risk and things will continue as, as usual? Well, I don't think it would continue as usual. I, I think, you know, they talk about accelerating technology and accelerating all these things. So I think you know, there is going to be a big change in the in industry about how it operates, you know, in terms of its cost model. I think from the underwriting point of view, the product point of view, I think that's still going to take a long time to change to get innovation building in through, you know, through the insurance industry. And that, that's the bit that we're really focused on is bringing, you know, these sort of new products to life, if you like. Uh, and that's, always been hard it's why i set up you know the insurance company in the first place because you know we'd go to lloyd's we'd go to all the big insurance players and they kind of didn't get what we were talking about you know that might have been my fault but but our view is that you know that they they would say yes 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 and then about six or eight months later say oh no you know because some compliance reason or some other thing that they 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 kind of make up so they wouldn't do it so that's why we set up the our, our our company in the first place so we could know what we're doing from an underwriting point of view from day one and i think the you know the insurance industry needs to innovate and understand that you know the insurance could be twice as big you know the penetration of the insurance you know industries is quite high in places like america or europe you know where there's also a social network in in in, you know social network in in um in europe but in many other parts of the world you know the penetration rate is one or two percent where it should be like, you know, 10% of GDP or something, you know, so there's a big, big way to go with insurance. And I think all that is where the innovation should come in. It shouldn't be taking the old products to them. It should be new products. All right. A few personal ones, and then we'll bring it home. What is uh, one thing that you believe in that most people around you don't believe in? <laughs> uh, blimey, should I say this? Well, kind of like, that spirituality of if you like i i, I like um uh I, I believe in putting putting things out there that you want and they come to you if you're honest about how you put it out there and kind of do, you know do develop business that way um i guess you know putting that out doing meditation and, and and drawing those sort of business you know that that sort of you know universal kind of believing the universe would give you if you ask for it basically i think that's one of the things that i do all right what's the best advice you've ever been given Crikey, I don't listen very much in the past. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's one of the things. I, I, I guess it's to listen. Uh, it's actually turned out to be the best advice. And 
I think my dad might have said that to me and I didn't listen. It's just taken me a long time to, to actually get there with that. All right. Last question. Is there a uh, book, either business or personal, that comes to mind that you've loved uh, over the years? Well, I do read a lot of books and I listen to a lot of books on, you know, as well on like things like Audible. Um, one was uh, years ago and it, almost I just like the title, which is like Thriving on Chaos. You know, I do like to thrive on things changing a lot. So that's kind of one of my, in my head, I always think of, of that title, if not the book. Uh, and then a recently one, one is Rocket Fuel, which is, it's where you get the visionary and the integrator coming together and having that partner to find either you're an integrator or a visionary. And, but, but having the two people together is really important in a business and to sort out who is the visionary and who's the integrator and, and really focusing on that. And that's a, a really good book to read. Uh, if you you know get hold of that and if particularly if you're a CEO or COO of a business, uh, I, I really like that book. And that's, that's a recent one. I've just, kind of got through by Gino, uh, Gino Wickman. I've read that one too. It's great. All right. How can people find your business? Uh, microinsurance.com. Any, uh, any other way? Well, they can go on LinkedIn and come and chat, to, chat to me on LinkedIn or uh, microinsurance.com. You can get hold of us there. Um, that's, I think that's the two easiest ways to, to get to us. Uh, phoning me is a bit useless because I'm all over the place in terms of different parts of the world. But, uh, uh, yeah, just get hold of me on LinkedIn or, uh, or you might, I think, you know, the email address is on the website. Harry, thank you so much, uh, for joining me today. This was awesome. Uh, I loved it. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for your time and speak to you soon. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.